Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, February 11th, 2021. One thing that I do every week is spend some time trying to think about and to craft sermon illustrations, right? I want to use some kind of picture or some kind of story that that helps illustrate what the Bible is saying or how it applies to their lives. And I think these illustrations can be helpful on a variety of levels. But in sometimes in a discussion of, of why, why would we put illustrations or stories into a sermon? And some people might be tempted to say, well, that's what Jesus did with his parables. And that's where I want us to throw a flag on the play because we're going to look at a very interesting passage because I would say, hey, my sermon illustrations, those are pictures that I'm trying to use to help people understand. And so more people get what it is that I'm trying to say. What we're going to see today is that's not exactly the reason Jesus gives when he talks about parables. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 23. And there, remember, we just read yesterday Jesus telling the parable of the sower. But today, he's going to explain not just that parable, but shed some light on why he uses parables at all. In verse 10, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said, well, to help them understand all the things that I'm teaching. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's not what it actually says. Jesus says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he lists a prophecy there from Isaiah, saying that this is fulfilling all of this. So Jesus gives really somewhat of a shocking answer, explaining that part of the purpose of the parables, yes, is to explain some things to the disciples, but another part of it is to conceal things from those who don't believe. And he gives the reason there for a fulfilling prophecy, but there's even a lot of speculation, a lot of uncertainty, even amongst faithful biblical scholars about what Jesus is really saying at all this. But what is clear is is Jesus was concealing part of his message from those that did not have the eyes to see it. That to some people, the parables, what in the world is he talking about? They, they didn't get it. They didn't want to understand what Jesus was saying. And so that's an interesting uh, just perspective as Jesus talks about why he does parables. It's not the same reason why preachers today give sermon illustrations. Uh, part of it was even to conceal the truth from those that weren't going to understand it. And, and so we see that from Jesus. And one takeaway we should have is gratitude if we do understand what Jesus is teaching. Look at verse 16 where it says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see 
and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there should be a certain amount of gratitude that we have, even just living in the age in which we live, where instead of trying to figure out what some of these prophecies mean and speculating in the future, although there are prophecies still yet to be fulfilled that we might not be able to figure out exactly how all that's going to go down, but we have the benefit of looking back, at least at the first coming of Christ, and seeing how Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies from the Old Testament. And also, we should be thankful if we are believers that God has opened our eyes to understand the truth and admit, hey, I don't get it because I'm so wise or I'm so special. I get it because God graciously opened my eyes to understand. So let's come with a little bit of humility and gratitude as we think about parables saying, God, thank you for the ability to understand. Thank you that I have these written down and even explained in the Bible. And thank you for opening my eyes to see the truth. Next, he actually gets into the explanation of the parable of the four soils. Again, very familiar that uh, those that were sown on the path, it's, you know, when it's sown in the heart and then the devil just comes and snatches away, you think of a hard path and maybe even of a hard heart. There's the rocky soil that springs up with excitement at first, but as soon as there's tribulation or persecution, that new believer shows it's not genuine faith and, and walks away. And the one I want us to think about the most today, one of the phrases I find most interesting in this is the thorny soil. In verse 22, it says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And that is a danger we all need to be aware of. And I think even an ongoing danger in all of our lives, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And we need to see how every day that's kind of where gravity is, is pulling us so many times, just our day-to-day lives. We have to think about the cares of the world. And a lot of that comes down to money. And so we start buying into the lie of the deceitfulness of riches that if I just had more money, my life would be better. And when we start to focus on all of those things, it chokes the word. And so may that be a wake up call to us today to say, hey, I want to focus on the word and not just on the cares of this world, not just on money matters, but on the Lord and on his word, because that's where the life is. And if I get wrapped up in all those other things too much, it's going to choke the life out of the word in my life. And it's really going to choke the life out of me. Next, I want us to go to Exodus today, chapters 32 and 33. And here we come across a very familiar story of the golden calves. And so that story might be familiar to us, but I want what I want us to notice today, especially, is the response of Moses to what happens here. So the story's familiar. He's up on the mountain and the the natives get restless down in the camp and saying, hey, where is this Moses guy, Aaron? Do something. And so Aaron makes these golden calves and says, these are your gods who brought you out of the lamp of the land of Egypt. And they start worshiping these golden calves and there's burnt offerings. And even it seems that there's sexual immorality going on in the camp. It is a bad thing. 
And, and Moses, he's up on the mountain and God tells him, hey, you need to go down uh, to these people because they have done, they've done the wrong thing. And God says in verse nine, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So what's going on there is God basically says to Moses, all right, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses, and I'm going to start over with you. And this is where I want us to think about the response of Moses, because I wonder how many of us, if we were in Moses's shoes at that point would have said, sounds good to me, God, I've had enough of these people too, right? Even think about our own nation and how you would respond if God said, hey, I'm going to start a new nation with you and I'm going to wipe out all the people that are rebelling against me and how easy it would be for many of us today. Sounds like a great plan, God, but look at how Moses actually responds in verse 11. It says, but Moses implored the Lord, his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So Moses, he starts pleading for the people. He starts begging God to have mercy on them. He starts reminding God of his promises and he begs for mercy for the people and God listens. I think that's a great response that we should be emulating on behalf of our own people, on behalf of our own nation. We should be begging God for mercy. We should be reminding God of his character. We should be calling out to God to show his mercy and compassion on the people around us. And I think that's a pretty amazing example from Moses there as he responds to God. In chapter 33, God kind of says something else where he basically says in verse three, he says, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. So there God basically says, hey, go, um, but I'm not going with you and and go and and go to this promised land, this great land that I'm going to give you, but, but I'm not coming. And again, Moses, starting in verse 12, he intercedes again and says, God, no, you have got to come with us. In verse 15, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So again, Moses pleads with God saying, no, don't. Don't let us go up from here without you. If you're not going, we're not going. God, we want to be with you and it's your presence with us that makes us distinct. Again, that's where I want us to think about that response of Moses and again, how it might apply to our own lives. And how many of us, if we were promised a promised land, hey, go all your wildest dreams will come true. You will have, you know, physical success and prosperity, but you won't have the presence of God. 
how many people in our culture, how many people even listening to this might be tempted by that to say, I'll take the prosperity. And if I don't have the presence of God, I guess that's a bummer, but oh, well, how many of us would respond like Moses saying, no, God, I'd rather be in the desert with you than in the promised land without you. And we see Moses, how his heart is set on God. And later he, he says straight up to God in verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. That's what we're going to see tomorrow in chapter 34. And God basically explains, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. You're going to kind of catch a glimpse of my glory, but you can't see my face and live. I'm going to hide you in the rock and pass before me. And you're going to catch a glimpse of my back. And we're going to read more about that tomorrow. But consider Moses's response. When God says, I'm going to wipe out the nation and start over with you, he pleads for mercy for them. When God says, hey, you can go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. Moses pleads for the presence of God. And ultimately he says, God, show me your glory. And I think a lot of those things translate to us today, that we should be pleading for our nation, for our people, that we should be seeking the presence of God, no matter what, and valuing the presence of God much more over prosperity. And we should be seeking the glory of God and to see the glory of God. Well, briefly, let's look at our last two passages in Acts chapter 13. Remember, Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journeys, and today they are, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon. They're giving the gospel presentation, and here you're going to see them really emphasizing the risen Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he rose again. It quotes Psalm 16, saying, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. And they say, this clearly can't be referring to David because he died and saw corruption. This is is referring to Jesus. And it says in verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. And so they, they preach Jesus even as the fulfillment of prophecy. And in verse 32, they they said, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children by raising Jesus. So he's pointing to prophecy about the resurrection of Jesus and saying, because Jesus rose again, you can be forgiven. And we see even a very prophetic passage today in Psalm 22, as we look at verses 16 through 24, and we see some prophetic statements about Jesus, where it talks about them gloating it over him and dividing his garments and casting lots for his clothing, things that will be literally fulfilled at the crucifixion of Jesus. And so that should be a reminder to us that God was fulfilling prophecy. God was keeping his promises. And I think one of the takeaways we should have in this, as we read through Psalm 22, and we see this person who feels forsaken by God, we should remember how Jesus fulfilled this. And because Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross there for a moment, we, through faith in Christ, can be confident that we will never be forsaken by God. And I think of the old Christian song we used to sing, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. 
Let us be grateful that Jesus was forsaken so that we do not have to be. And through faith in Christ, we can find forgiveness for all of our sins. And let us be grateful that these truths that Jesus sometimes hid through parables, we can understand and be grateful for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And let's come back to God's word and do this again tomorrow. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.